Jeremiah is a backdrop for his 6th century culture. His words form a backdrop, and I think they could form a backdrop for our culture as well, uh, looking across Western, Western culture. Uh, from that fourth chapter, he says, thoughts, offers thoughts like this, My people are fools. This is um, under the thus says the Lord category of the prophet word being spoken. And uh, it resonates with the minor prophets that we are paying attention to in our life groups who speak to a time when Israel uh, had uh, slipped into some very uh, uh, sad and uh, destructive, self-destructive habits. My people are fools. They do not know me, says the Lord. They are senseless children. They have no understanding they are skilled in doing evil. They know not how to do good. Indifferent, callous, unbelieving, immoral, cynical, corrupt. It's not a very pretty picture. And not only a 6th century Israel, uh, there have been other times as well. Um, Paul will write to Timothy, speaking of when the last days come to a culture. Can be the end of the days for all cultures, but also there are times when um, the end comes for a culture that has gone away from God. And he will say, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, Not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. So he describes and invites us to acknowledge a culture sometimes that can be all around us and the invitation basically to be in the world because we are, but that doesn't mean we need to be seduced by the world so to be in the world, not of the world. Ellen and I have been watching a couple of series on TV, one of them on Masterpiece Theater called Silk, which is a legal term in the English realm of uh, England. Uh, English lawyers practicing law and living out their lives in this sort of culture. And we also began watching this past week, uh, House of Cards with Kevin Spacey and Robin Wright about D.C. politics. They are both the uh, stories around silk and the stories around House of Cards about sex and sin and self-promotion and lust for power and dishonesty and cheating, backstabbing, ruthlessness, driving to be on the top of the pile. In short, they are about godlessness in a culture. They are about life without reference to God. The psalmist this morning says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Cultures like the one that Paul describes and Jeremiah describes, and what even these shows reflect, are full of fools, apparently. They are also both stories about desperate people living desperate lives in a desperate culture. That is spiraling downward. It's self-destructive. It is self-inflicted wounds. And so they are as well about judgment and justice. And 
both these shows, Silk and House of Cards, offer the kinds of settings where Jesus, in the guise of the powerless, sometimes makes his appearance in a cameo sort of way, small bit part, um, to proclaim the kingdom, even in the midst of those kind of uh, shows. And these shows will reflect that there will be a remnant that will be saved one person at a time. How will the remnant be saved? One person at a time. The story of the hundred sheep, the 99 who are not lost, or are they? And the one who is definitely lost, that gets found. And when that one is found, that's only 1%, mind you, when that one is found, Jesus says it's a joyful occasion. And just as that sheep owner would rejoice with his friends, he says, I tell you, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, who comes home, who finds his or her way than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So what uh, this seems to say with fairly simple clarity is that there is the saved life. Alleluia. May every one of us here be the 1% somehow. May every one of us here say, I was one of those lost sheep. But it's not only about the saved life, brothers and sisters. And this is the tricky part here. This rescue of the one is, I suspect, also about the transformed life. The saved life is offered to us by Jesus. And Paul will declare in his letter to the Romans, if you confess with your lips Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God mysteriously, miraculously raised Jesus from the dead... You're saved. You will be saved. doesn't take much on your part, that act of faith. God's made it real simple. That's a gift of grace. Real simple. Can you confess with your lips, Jesus is Lord? Can you believe in your heart? Will you just believe? Say, I don't know how it happened, but I believe it. You are saved. But the transformed life, and I want to believe and hope that that one sheep is found, and the one who repents is not talking about only about the saved life, but the transformed life. And that is offered through Jesus as well. It comes through the Holy Spirit released through the resurrection. If death by sin, and we are rescued by the cross, and given life through that, we are also rescued by the cross and the glory of resurrection and given power through that. So Paul will write here and there in various uh, letters of his in the New Testament, but in one place in 1 Corinthians he says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It's not a matter of just going through the motions. It's not just about getting saved, I think he may be saying. It's not a matter of talk, but of power. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of power. What is this power that Jesus and Paul teach and talk about? Is it the power to become wealthy? Is it the power to become prominent? Is it the power to have influence? Is it the power to win, to end up on the top? 
What is this particular power that comes from the cross of Jesus Christ that is intimately related to the resurrection? What is this power about? Well, this is the only power, I suspect, the only power on earth that's available to you and will take a hardened, embittered, critical, selfish human heart and remake it in time into the heart of Jesus. A gracious, loving, joy-filled, other-centered heart. See, it's not about fixing others. It's about getting ourselves fixed. That's an incredible power. And it's the only vehicle, I think, the only way to get your heart repaired permanently and beautifully. It is the power, strangely enough, to lay down our agenda, our wishes, our will. Now, that's simple to say and very, very hard to do, whether I'm talking about me or talking about you. The power to lay down our will, our way, our preferences, our wishes. Many of us live mostly in denial and self-deception about doing this. We say we're not in control in our home, but we really are. In fact, some wise therapist says the, the sickest person in the house has the most power. You know, the whole house revolves around the sick person, uh, whether it's an addict or a uh, even perhaps an elderly person who has always had a lot of control in that home, and uh, now they're even bedridden. But uh, the lights go down, the music's turned down, or the TV's turned off at certain times, and we have to take a meal up to, you know, it goes on and on and on. But that person may not be physically sick, it may be spiritually sick or emotionally sick in that home. And Jesus is giving us the power to lay it down. Um, I've got my notes out of note here, out of um, order here. I just realized from the earlier service, and I'm going to get lost even more if I don't stop for a moment. And maybe that is as simple as that. So when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane, what does he say? Not my will. Profound words. He's about to go through the most difficult season of his life the next 24 hours. He's about to suffer death by execution, and he could dodge that bullet, but it's not about him. He has the power to lay down his life, he says, and he does. So he prays, not my will, but your will be done. We need more of that in our hearts and on our lips. Not my will, but yours be done. This is a very personal story. It's from a long, long time ago. But it may speak to this circumstance. Uh, because this comes up in family relationships a lot of times. Uh, it comes up between spouses. It, becomes, it comes up between fathers and children, uh, mothers and children, uh, in all sorts of ways. And I, it just seemed appropriate to share with you this morning. But Ellen and I had a terrific struggle once upon a time in our marriage. 
And it was a struggle where uh, we could, there was no compromise. It was either black or white. And um, it was um, something that um, um, was uh, irresolvable. We could not fix it. And the issue was whether to have another child or not, whether to have another child or not. And um, I uh, wanted to have a fourth child. And Ellen, you could say, uh, could not. I mean, there were a lot of issues there. And uh, in my own 30-something self-centeredness and selfishness, uh, I wanted it my way. And I just believed it should be that way, just believed. I, you know, I, I, I. And um, uh, we struggled with that. It went on for months and passed over into at least a year, a season of a year, maybe even longer. And uh, whether we could or uh, whether we would or whether we would not. And as Ellen has done on many other occasions, because we have discovered in our lives as husband and wife that sometimes she chooses to lay it down and sometimes I choose to lay it down. And in fact, the most, the loveliest argument a husband and wife can ever have is who's going to lay it down this time rather than who's going to win this time. He said, no, no, we're going to do it your way. No, no, let's do it your way. The back and forth is, is a beautiful kind of thing of laying it down. So on this occasion, after all this seemingly irresolvable tension in our lives, it was murderous for our relationship. It was, uh, it was killing us, and it was painful. Uh, it was my turn to lay it down. I say, okay, we will not. Let's move forward. That power didn't come from Mike. It came from the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of power that I'm talking about that is available to us. To take those seemingly impossible, irresolvable issues of our lives and being empowered to face them and make our way through them. I will tell you the truth. Uh, um, I've been a priest for over 30 years now. And in this season of my life, this is the weakest I have ever felt. And I don't need to go into all the details of why I feel so weak, except simply say uh, there's that cumulative toll of any of you who have had those kinds of long careers know that you just kind of get... Uh, worn down for one thing or another but I have never felt weaker in my life and um, Paul's words really ring out at this point because uh, Paul had that thorn in his flesh that would not go away and did not go away and the Lord says I'm not going to take away that thorn but my strength will be made perfect in your weakness I think of a beloved brother, uh, Don Boone, who often sits right here on the third row, who has, uh, is in the end stages of cancer. Um, and he and his beloved wife are fighting that battle together, surrounded by friends from this parish family and elsewhere and their children. Um, but uh, his cancer, that thorn in his side, will not be taken away from him. But if you talk to Don Boone, uh, the Lord's strength is made perfect in his weakness. I think of people who deal with a mental illness or emotional illnesses that simply are a part and parcel of their lives. Maybe it's depression that just rears its ugly head or it's bipolar or it's manic depressive or, you know, all these kinds of uh, things that um, seem to resist so much uh, going away. Uh, thorns in our flesh and in our lives. And, and, and the Lord says, 
my strength is made perfect in your weakness. I will sustain you and will walk with you through this. I've never felt weaker in my life in some ways professionally, and yet uh, I've never been stronger. (laughs) The Lord, thank you, Lord. What is this power to be used for? It is the power to lead your family to lead in your workplace, in your community, as a foot-washing leader. Everyone for himself? No, everyone for others. It is the power to serve others, your wife, your husband, your children, your employer. There are a thousand ways to get this wrong. Both those shows, Silk and House of Cards, show lots of ways that people appear to be servants and they're just in it for something themselves. It is the power to survive sometimes in oppressive circumstances as I have described a few minutes ago. It is the power to confront evil and darkness and misbehavior by speaking the truth in love, which means speaking the truth with gentleness and respect, not thoughtlessly or to hurt or to wound, but a willingness to speak the truth. It is the power to stand for the rights of others To be an advocate for someone else, perhaps a dear friend who is elderly and in the hospital and needs somebody to be advocate for for her or him with the system. Or maybe it's the power to stand for the rights of others and its unborn children or it's for the persecuted or the aged. It is the power of chosen presence in Haiti and Honduras and the east side of Charleston. I think of Dallas Wilson and Herman Robinson priests and pastors who serve on the east side of Charleston to serve to uh, that power presence in the free medical clinic or mobile meals or the food distribution or palmetto house. It's the power of service. It is the power to generosity, arranging your finances so that you do first, so that what you do first is to give some of your hard-earned money away for God's kingdom purposes And that is not a subtle request to give to St. Paul's. It is a blatant exhortation to give something somewhere first, regularly and systematically from your paycheck as a thank offering and to trust God that He will be your provision. Yes, it is the power to lay down your life and your agenda in order to find your life in God's agenda for you. And that's where you discover true meaning and purpose. And I suspect about 1% get that whole picture that Jesus is trying to give to us. Salvation, yes, thank you, Lord. But there's more. There's that empowerment that enables transformation and change in your life. So Paul, uh, speaking first of all, for himself, will say in the letter to the Philippians, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. You see that, hear that yearning? It's not an ought to or a should. I want to know Christ and the power for transformation, in other words. And then he says, and the fellowship. I want to know the the, the fellowship with Christ. And that means, I know, of sharing in Christ's sufferings. When we lay down our lives for others, it is a self-offering. It is a sacrifice. 
And on one level, it hurts. But it's a good hurt. So Paul will pray to the church in Ephesus. So it's not only about him, he will declare. It's about you and me as well. And so he says, I pray for you all. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be open in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Salvation. Thank you, Lord. I'm glad we, I want to know that. I hope you know it. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He will bestow you with riches. And then he says, third bullet, most important of all, perhaps, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That's his prayer for the church. He says that power is like the working of his mighty strength when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead. So, the one lost sheep, the one lost coin, the 1%. I suspect that what Jesus celebrates is not merely salvation, but transformation. And the few who on their way into the kingdom find this transforming opportunity on the way to the kingdom that enriches their lives. And I will echo Paul's and simply say, I not only want to know this, but I want you to know this as well. Salvation, yes. Transformation, yes. And sometimes we just need to hit the reset. And I want to suggest that we do that today. You know, that's a great computer image where the whole thing just sort of wipes the slate clean and you do a restart. Because I know many of you, if not all of you, know salvation. And I know some of you know that transforming power. But I suspect if you are like me, there are parts of your life that you have still not yet given over to the Lord. And that maybe today is the day of salvation for that part of your life. I don't know what that room is in your heart, uh, whether it's the financial room or the relationship room or the marriage room or the, um, uh, the um, behavior room or wh- which room it is. Um, but I suspect we all are still doing that cleaning up work, and it takes this kind of power. So uh, let's hit the reset button today. And so I, I'm going to take you through a spiritual exercise but I'm going, only going to take those who want to go through this. And so the way I'd like to do this is if you want to go with me through this spiritual exercise of, of uh, laying down our lives before the Lord so that we can take it up in the power of the Spirit, then I'm going to invite you to stand. You're going to do something public and make a, you know, your own personal witness to that. It's simply to stand before the Lord. And uh, before his cross, this is not standing before other people. It's not standing before me, certainly. But it is standing before the Lord and beneath the cross. And um, do this because you want to do it, as Paul says. I want to know the power of his resurrection. So let's go through this. And I'm going to go with you as well. Uh, Confess your selfish ways. And uh, whatever that is personally for you, confess your controlling, heavy-handed, manipulative life, wherever that description fits. Own it, name it, and offer it. And um, we adults, uh, we've been at this for a long time, and we perhaps have tried to fix it ourselves or cover it up is what we usually do. But this time, 
admit your need of God, that thought, um, I can't change it. I've been this way a long time. I've tried. God, I need you to change me. And thank God, thank Jesus for his cross of love. He died, nailed to the cross, his blood poured out. For us and for our salvation, he came, he offered, he laid down his agenda, not my will, God's will. He suffered and died for us. Thank God and thank Jesus. And now ask Jesus into your life again today. And open yourself to his Holy Spirit. And one way, the only way I know to do this, uh, I mean, we can say we open ourselves to his Holy Spirit and not do it, is allow him to have his way with something you've never given to him before. I know for me once, it was giving him my unraised hands in worship and getting free to raise my hands in worship. I gave that to him. It was a sacrifice. I've never looked back. Maybe it's giving a check off the top, first fruits, or giving a helping hand to a person you would not normally help or someone you don't want to help at work and you decide to do that. Or giving your wife or husband or a child your time in a generous fashion this week. Open yourself to his Holy Spirit by allowing him to have his way with something you've never given to him before. Lord, every now and then we just need to hit the reset button. And here, Lord, are these your children standing before you. Each one here, Lord, a one percenter, a one sheep, one coin person. And Lord, we're coming back. And Lord, we not only want salvation and yearn for that and are grateful for that. Lord, we want transformation. Our strength to be made perfect in our weakness. The power to lay down our selfish, willful ways. And Lord, that we would more and more be moved to say, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. And I don't have to get my way under this roof. I'm here to wash feet, Lord. Show me how to do it best. Lord, may your spirit fall fresh and new upon these individuals present here that are standing. And Lord, may your spirit be a spirit of power and a transforming spirit, Lord, that uh, in the days and weeks ahead, there is a qualitative change in how we live and how we behave, how we serve. Yes, Lord Jesus. And Lord, show us something that we need to do to show that this has come to fullness and fruition. Show us something that we can do only in the power of your spirit, Lord, and then empower us to do it this week. Can you join me in an amen? And so the coin is lost and found.
Jesus says, I tell you, there is rejoicing in heaven in the same way. Rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one who comes home. Hallelujah. Amen. While you're standing, enjoy fellowship with one another. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Thank you.